Uh, I had the privilege to pastor a little struggling church. It was kind of on its last leg up in North Asheville uh, back in the day. And uh, so I always have enjoyed the drive from Greenville to Asheville. And uh, it's really lovely, and especially on, uh, honestly, on Highway 25 on the South Carolina side, that's kind of some of the prettiest uh, views in South Carolina, in my opinion, there at the Cliffs Valley. So, uh, so coming back to Asheville kind of brings back old memories and uh, some good memories and some challenging times, but uh, great memories. Our daughter, Karis, we have four children, Brandon, Shane, Kelly and Karis, their ages 30 to 40 in spread. We have five grandchildren and one on the way in March, a little, a little boy in Utah. Our daughters live in Utah and Colorado and a son in Tennessee and then a son and his wife and uh, three grandchildren in Greenville, including two-year-old twin granddaughters in Greenville that are in our home two days a week usually. And uh, so it's pretty cool. And I'm working at home, so I get to walk through the kitchen and see my granddaughters all the time. Probably drive my wife crazy, but it's fun to, fun to have them around. Well, our daughter, Karis, who's our youngest, who's 30, married to a real good guy named Matthew, who's an Air Force guy now, has been for a long time. And uh, they've been married three years, and he is a B-52 pilot, nuclear trained, and right now stationed in the nuclear backup center in Cheyenne, uh, or Cheyenne, in uh, Colorado Springs, Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado Springs. So I know that Karis would be really thrilled to uh, see what the Lord's doing here from her several years of uh, serving here. And I go back a long time with this ministry, the McLeans and others that we've uh, been connected to here. So it's great to, to be here this morning. Good to see new faces. Good to see uh, the, the blessing and the growth that God has given. Pastor Dan was sharing me that with me, uh, that information on the phone this week. He called me on Thursday, I think it was, and I just actually love getting calls like that where the pastor says, can you help me? I'm like, yes, sure, I'll come. I'll be glad to. So I just, I do this all the time. So I, I love, I love dropping in on churches, especially those that I've had connection with. And actually my wife and I attended uh, Brother Dan and Carrie's wedding years ago. It was a double wedding, twins getting married to fine young men at the day, Matt Wilson and Dan Smetana, right there at War Memorial Chapel on the campus where I served for years. And so uh, we enjoy that memory with them. And you just have one gem of a pastor. He just, and pastor's wife, and uh, just, I know his background, know his pastor of the church where he's from, and so you just, you just have a lot of blessing here, and I'm sure he feels the same way in having uh, you all part of this ministry, various ones that have been here for a long time. Real great to meet Trevor and his family here for the first time, and uh, praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. Now, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to be myself, all right? I'm just going to just share my heart. I'm going to open the Word. I'm going to challenge your heart. Um, I'm... Uh, this is not the normal way that I preach, well, the way I'm going to do it this morning. I don't usually give out a handout for one thing. I hope everyone got one. If you need a handout, it's going to really help you to follow through the message. And whether you're young or real young or whatever your age may be, I think this would be good to have in your hand. And there are enough. I brought 80 copies. So if, there, if some of you want to, whatever on the way out. Everybody have one? Anybody need one? 
Okay, got one. All right, good. Uh, if, if you say, hey, I want to take that and give that to somebody else, there's, there should be enough copies there for you to take extras with you. And this is the kind of thing, a little handout and some thoughts that, this is the kind of thing you might want to stick in your Bible and hang on to for a little while or in your devotional materials or wherever, uh, wherever that would be. So I want to I open up by just um, uh, briefly telling you a little bit about myself since a number of you don't know me. And uh, let me say, I, I, th I believe I married the prettiest and nicest person in the world, all right? And uh, we've been married 42 years. We met at a dining room assigned table at BJU on an evening meal, March of my senior year and her junior year. 34BL was the table number. And we hit it off immediately, and one thing led to another. And we got married right there on the campus. And uh, we, we served together, she and I served at Bob Jones University for a total of 80 years combined. So we've had tremendous privileges there. All of our children were born on campus. And, and so we just had, I, I have, it was my privilege to pour my life into, primarily into young men training for the ministry. And I was actually in the BJU ministerial class as a student or as the assistant or as the director for a total of 40 years. And so what a privilege that was. And planning a church, pastoring another church, helping another church to get started. And then at this phase in my life, I'm, I'm kind of circling back to a lot of those people that I had a part in when they were younger. And it's just phenomenal privilege to do that. Well, my wife's father was the pastor of a church in New Jersey, the same church, Ocean View Community Church, Leonardo, New Jersey, just right across the water from New York City. You can see the city and Brooklyn and Coney Island and Queens and all you could, the, uh, the old World Trade Center, you could see it uh, basically from her parents' house or a block from the waterfront where they lived. And he pastored that church for 61, 61, 61 years, same church. And now he's with the Lord. Uh, his wife, uh, Ellen's mom, lives in Greenville. She's 90, doing well. My mom lives in Greenville as well. Uh, she's 88, dementia, but She's doing pretty well in spite of that. And so we're thankful to have our moms. My dad's been with the Lord for a long time. I was born in Savannah, Georgia. I'm sure my parents took me to church as early as they possibly could, probably within a week or two of being born. Bull Street Baptist Church, historic church, Savannah, Georgia. We were back there for the first time since those days, uh, just a couple years ago. And all through the years, my parents took us to Bible-believing churches. And I had in my life the influence not only of good, fine Christian parents, but very many godly people in my life. And that would be a whole story in and of itself. So, uh, to be honest with you, I have no excuse. I have had, if I go off the pathway, it's all my fault, all right? Nobody else in the world to blame. But I want to tell you about something that happened when I was 16. I'm going to fast forward a little bit here now. By the way, I was saved 61 years ago. This past week, January 12th. I shouldn't say, by the way. That's the most... The pastor that led me to Christ wrote in the front of my Bible. Little, he gave me a little New Testament. And he wrote in there, January 12th, 1960, the greatest day of your life. 
He wrote that in there because in his 1957 Studebaker on Church Street in Decatur, Alabama, he led me to Christ. Not many people get to be led to Christ by Jack Spratt. How about that? Who could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lamb. You know, that it's not the same one, I guess. But here's our fine pastor, and he preached the gospel and pled with people to be saved. And even as a little guy, I knew as a sinner on my way to hell, needed a savior, needed to ask the Lord to save me. And I'll tell you what, it worked, okay? It worked. It stuck. Uh, it was real. It's not only written in a little New Testament that I treasure, but it's, it's in my heart. And the, the memory of it is, is clear, and the results of it uh, are, are you know, they're permanent. And I'm so thankful to Dr. Spratt and his family and their interest in us. Now, I dedicated my life to Christ in the, the summer of 1970. I said, Lord, take my life and use it. Went forward on a Wednesday night, church in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, I've never been bored since then. That fall, I began to preach. The fall of 1970. I was 15 when I preached my first message. This past October, that's been 50 years ago. At Christmas time, I, I, my birthday is in November, so at Christmas time of that same year, I was, I was 16. Sweet 16. <clears throat> and there was a college student that had come home from BJ that was in our church, and <clears throat> he was 20, I was 16, and I'd always admired him from a distance. Uh, I had, we were in the same church at that time, but not had been in the same church for those most of those years growing up. Ken Collier happened to be his name. Anybody know that name? The, uh, the long-term director president of the Wilds Association until very recently his son has become the new director, Matt. Well, Ken, Ken Collier is the son of Johnny and Francis Collier. And they lived on 8th Street in Decatur, Alabama, a little white frame house. His mother played the organ in our church. His dad, good man, had a, he was a southpaw, shot, you know, he, he could drive a golf ball down the range, even though he was a slight built man. I played with him one time. And Ken Collier said, I want you to come over to our house. And I'm telling you this story because this is the most, this is the second most important thing that happened to me in my, in my early days of spiritual development. So Ken Collier had me come over to his house, 20-year-old, takes an interest in this young teenager. He says, now Bruce, I don't remember the exact wording, but it went something like this. <clears throat> you know, you need to spend time in the Word of God and in prayer every day. And I want to I share with you how you can do that. And he explained to me how I could read a chapter in Proverbs according to the day of the month and and uh, so we were, we were at Christmas time, and I, I, he challenged my heart with that, with that thought. Are you listening to what he just said to me? He said, you ought to be in the Word and in prayer every day. Now, I probably heard that in these good churches that I grew up in, but that was not part of my life at that point. It was not a, a holy habit that I had built in. Those moments... In that kind exhortation and explanation, next to getting saved, is the most important thing that ever happened to me. 
because it was out of that, that encouraging time with this highly admired older friend that transformed my life and is still transforming my life. Really, every day. I can remember the first thing I got out of the Bible on my own. It was Proverbs 27, 7. The King James. Full, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Loathe means to hate. If you're full of food, the side of food is like, ah, you know, I don't want any more food. But if you're hungry, Everything looks good if you're really hungry. It was Christmas time. Pastor said on Wednesday night, I said, anybody, anybody have a testimony? I, I, I must have stood up. I remember speaking out and I'm saying, you know, I just learned this verse. Uh, and here's the way I look at it. If you have everything and you get a Christmas present, it may not mean that much to you. But if you don't have anything and somebody gives you a Christmas present, it means everything. That was the first practical application of the Word of God that, that I remember getting on my own. And every time I read Proverbs 27, 17, 16, Christmas, 1970. They say, you're just an old man reminiscing. You've got a problem, don't you, friend? No, my heart is full. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm wanting to say to you. And if, if you're six years old this morning, I want you to get what I'm saying. And if you're 16 or if you're 66, like I am, whatever your age, circumstance in life, I, I want you, if you will, if you will follow what I'm sure others have encouraged you to do, but if you will get grasp what I'm saying this morning and say, you know what? I'm going to do that. By God's grace, with his strength, to the best of my ability, I'm going to find a way to do what I ought to be doing with the Word of God. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, when I that is one of the longest introductions I've ever given. It's just, I'm telling you, it's going to be different this morning. I'm just going to share my heart. I am a preacher first. I am a teacher second. And I taught in the classroom for very many years. And I've preached all these years. And I love one-on-one -on -one as well. I love administration to a point, not as I get older do I love it as much as I used to, okay? But, but so I'm just going to, it's going to be a little combination of teaching, talking, and, and preaching, but it's not going to really be the way I normally preach. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. I want you to think of this word, and profitable. It is profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's Word, our Bible, is, is breathed out by God. That's what... It is inspired by God. It's not that people wrote it and God waved a wand over it and declared it to be inspirational reading. It is inspirational reading, for sure. 
but it's that's not what that word means. That's the Greek word theonoustos. It 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 is a compound of God and breathe, God and breath. And so God breathed this book out as holy men of old, the scripture says, were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So that what they wrote is the in the original documents, especially, is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. I'm so glad you're doing the catechism that reinforces uh, that type of truth systematically. That's a great thing. So we literally hold in our hands the Word of God. We have it in our hands in a language that we can understand. and It's been translated into very many languages. We have it in a version and there are very many various you know, English versions, as you know. But we have a number of reliable English versions in modern language, modern, you know, how we use English today, that we can read from. We have so many Bible study resources at our fingertips. I have two full study Bibles right here on my phone. I have a I have a something called Bible Hub that you ought to download as well, and and I can it's just phenomenal resources just right here on our phone. If you want to do that, do it that way, or on your iPad or whatever uh, type of uh, technology you like to use. Uh, it is profitable. It's really talking about what a preacher does with the word. We are to Second Timothy four two preach the word, be instant in season, out season, repute, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. So this is, and it's, it certainly equips the man of God. God. God, in a sense, wants all of his, his people to be men and women of God, does he not? Be people who are, you see, if you're a person, if you're a godly person, here's how you'll think about God. God must be first, foremost, and central in my life. You will view God as who he is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Romans 11, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. God is the, is the origin, the means, and the end of all things. End being, He is to be glorified in our lives. And so, if you're thinking right, as a, as a believer, you're, you should be thinking, this life is about God. And if I'm going to center my life on God and be used by Him, and know His grace, and know His full blessing, then that means I've got to do a whole lot with this very special book that He has given to us. And I'm so glad you're in church, and I'm sure you're here on a regular basis. You've got a pastor and, and others here that have a heart for God and a heart for communicating the Word of God. But if, if this is your one meal a week of the Bible, then your diet is not what it ought to be, okay? So, so we have this, this great book. Now, I have that little handout. I'm going to work through this. I want to be, I'm going to be, try to be really practical in what I'm saying here today. I'm going to allude to a lot of scripture. I, I'm, I'm going to refer to a lot. I just want the saturation of that to be a, a blessing to you. You have the Bible references on your handout, most of them anyway, so you can go back and look at these uh, verses uh, on your own. Let me, let me just give you some of those opening verses for just get started here, okay? 
Uh, but this is on personal spiritual growth. Personal. What you are doing. What you're doing personally. Okay. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We are to be growing. I, I have a thirst to grow. I have a thirst in my heart to be more caught up with God and His Word and His purposes in this life. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God that, that um, it works effectually or effectively also in you, that believe. Boy, that's that's a great verse on the practicality, the applicability, the transform, transform, transformative nature of the Word of God in our lives if we will view it correctly. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Some verses right around that that say you got to put away malice and evil and all this. And you know, you know, if you do not have a desire for the Word and to grow in grace, if that you're a believer, you're a professing believer, but there's not a heart to grow, then there's there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You ever see a little baby that ought to be hungry for milk, and the milk is given to the baby, and the baby, oh, like this, okay. I don't know a lot about milk and babies, all right, but I, I, I learned enough to know that if a, baby's, if a baby is sick, has a sour stomach, or something's wrong there, that baby's probably not going to be eating properly. That's a little hint. There's something wrong with the baby most of the time. And so we're that way. We're like, God, don't have time. It bothers me. I, I, I can't do that. Um, you know, okay, so something's wrong. It can be some really poor attitudes inside. Colossians 1.10 says we're to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Proverbs 8.34 and 35 is the closest thing I know to a verse about daily devotions in the Bible. It may surprise you. It's a chapter on wisdom, and, and he just commends, he says, Blessed is the man that heareth me, here it is, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. So we are commended to wait daily at the gates of wisdom, and we have so much of that in the Bible. Now, for this little handout here, right? We've broken this down into some D's. You know, preachers have to be alliterative or it's just not inspired, right? All right, so we're going to choose D today. So we begin with the idea of our personal spiritual growth having to do with devotion, with devotion. And I've already read 2 Timothy 3, 16, noting that the Word of God is profitable. I'm really here talking about that that you are so devoted to your personal relationship with the Lord that it's going to rearrange your priorities and your schedule. So much so that you would come to this conclusion that if I don't do anything else in a given day, I am going to spend time in the Word of God and in prayer. God is going to be first, foremost, and central so if I don't have time for God, then that's saying something about my priorities and about my devotion. 
Now, most of us do not have to have anybody uh, say, let me take some food and put it into your mouth. I think I'm fair to say here, almost entirely, there's nobody here that has to be force-fed. If anything, we have to be forced to not feed, right? Okay. I, I enjoy good food. I like, I have, would you believe, for breakfast, I love mixed dry cereal with 2% milk with bananas and today with blueberries on it and a, a glass of orange juice. And I can eat that 365 days a year and I'm happy as I can be. And I'm weird about it. I start with Raisin Bran, put Cheerios on top of that, put shredded wheat on top of that, put um, some granola in that. If I have it, basic four, and I mix that all together. And to me, it's just like, mm. And I'll sit there and think, where all these grains came from that are nourishing me? And that banana came from Guatemala, and those blueberries came from probably California this time of year. And, and I get that, and I pour, where'd that milk come from? I mean, it came right out of the refrigerator. No, it didn't. It, Daisy down the road somewhere. And, and I've got that orange juice from Florida, or maybe California somewhere. And I'm, I'm just sitting here, and it doesn't cost me much, and I can sit here and just enjoy that. And I'm going to do that about 7 o'clock or 7.30 whenever in the morning, and that's what I'm going to do, and I love it. It's balanced. It's nutritious. It, I think it's good for you. I'm going to have lunch. Usually with Ellen, about noon. Now I could describe what I have for lunch. Then at 5.30, we're going to have dinner. And she's going to put something together nice, and we're going to enjoy our time together. Nobody has to make me do that. That's, that, is, that is kind of a routine, but there's a sense in which that is a discipline. I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe people ought to eat together. Families ought to at least try. You're raising your family. Y'all you if all possible, almost always, if possible, eat together. Now, I believe we ought to view our time in the Word of God in prayer just like we view our regular meals. There ought to be a routine to it, a discipline to it. And so whether that for you is first thing in the morning or that's another time of day, I, my heart goes out to busy mothers of young children. Because their schedules are really different. Maybe you're a swing shift person or you're a third shift person and you're like, you know, you don't know where you are half the time. You're in the twilight zone of almost like a, you live a jet lag life. My heart goes out to you. But, but I'll tell you what, wherever you are in life, to the best of your ability, given all, whatever it is, there ought to be something that says, I love the Lord and I'm going to spend time with Christ one way or another. And if it has to be in your car on a long commute somewhere and you're listening to Bible tapes and that's how you do it, then you do it that way. Or it, There's a lot of ways that you could do this. You can do it. I think we need to think about keeping our paper Bibles handy, folks, okay? I, I really do. Um, but I have to confess, I actually have my devotions on my iPad. And I have a Bible reading schedule. And it's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and add another chapter in Proverbs and another psalm to it. So that's kind of like my mixed cereal. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And if I stay on track, then I read through the whole Bible in a year. And so what I've seen in a year's time of reading, and I've seen if the Bible is the revelation of God, then I have seen the entire written revelation of God in a calendar year. 
And if you keep doing that over a period of time, what you're doing is you're building into your memory bank what God is like and who He is and the big picture of what He's been doing forevermore and will do forevermore. And it's a phenomenal thing to be doing that. And honestly, at pulpit rate, you can read the Bible through in about 20 minutes a day. And I'm saying if you listen at a normal reading rate, you can, you can do that. So, I brought a... That did turn this on. Okay. So I brought with me today a one-year Bible. This is uh, put out by Tyndale. And this is a King James one-year Bible. And I used this for, for some years. And then I went to a, the New King James one-year Bible. And I, I had to put a piece of duct tape on that one. So I got a, I got at home, I got a blue one with duct tape on it, all right? And then I've got an ESV one-year Bible that's that I started to bring, and it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, falling apart a little bit. But I can say now for a long time, as I got older, I realized I need to hear it and to read it at the same time. And so I I did that by getting on the ESV.org website and choosing the Everyday in the Word Bible Reading Program. They have a lot of them, and I'm sure there are many others out there online. So, devotion. If you are just, let me say this, if you're just, you haven't been doing this before and this is new, you go, read through the whole Bible, just start where you are, okay? Just kind of park what I said about reading through the whole Bible, maybe some other time, but just start wherever you are. Just start where you are. I think your pastor's preached through Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, and I think today was supposed to be Psalm 3, he said, and we talked about this, he encouraged me to speak on what I'm speaking on. But maybe it would just be to start reading through Psalms. 150 Psalms in 150 days. Someone that might take another day or two. It's a big one. And uh, you, you, could, you could find your way through the Psalms. The Psalms are the worship book of the Bible. Phenomenal. Okay. Proverbs. Just start where you are. Start with the, if you want to, with the New Testament letters and just, just read Romans through, you know, basically Jude and just read that part. But, but find, find a section, you'll have your favorite parts of the Bible, and then set this up so that there's a time of day. I encourage you to think about it early in the day. Get up, get awake. Uh, coffee helps my devotions to go much better, personally. And, uh, and get in there and just routinely. And start, if it's five minutes a day, start with five minutes. If it's ten, what I find over time is the more you do it, the more time you want to do it. And you just don't even want to go with the rest of your day. You just want to... Stay there with the Lord. All right. So devotion, devotion, consistency, a Bible reading pattern that will work. Number two is delight, delight. Okay. So I don't, we, I don't know how it is for you, but I'm not going out to restaurants much right now. Okay. It's rarely am I going to restaurants, but I, because I travel a lot and I am in restaurants, I do a lot of things in churches and folks take you to restaurants. We do some restaurants sometimes. We our favorite place in Greenville is Monterey's there in Greer. So we like to go there sometimes. And you know, sometimes, let's say on your own vacation, the schedule's a little bit different, or maybe it's a special time of week and you've got some friends that you really love just to hang out with. And you, you say you go to a restaurant or you take something to a park and have a picnic. And you know how it is when you just, you're just with your best friends or your spouse and you just, you're not in a hurry and you're just going to eat and talk. I call it 
grazing. You know, grazing, it's just we're going to go back to the salad bar in a little while. And, hey, I need a little more of this. You call the waitress over and you take your time. I think there's times when we need to have some extended, unrushed time like that with the Lord. I don't know when that would be in your week, in your schedule, but if you can, and by the way, if you've got a busy, busy wife that's managing small children every day and you go off to work, maybe there's times when you as a dad or a husband where you just need to take the kids and say, you get some of your own time. Just do whatever you want to do. Go shopping. She may want to take some of that time for the work. Okay. We'll take a love offering afterward for those comments. Okay. From the lady. Um, we need to look out for each other in that way. The psalmist said things like this about how much he loved God's word. Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 1 in verse 2, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law that He meditate day and night. Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. Psalm 119, 113, But thy law do I love. Verse 159, Consider how I love thy precepts. Psalm 119, 167, And I love them exceedingly. Verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so, I'm saying I think there are times when we just, we're not on some kind of Bible reading schedule necessarily when we do this. We just find a portion of God's Word and we just, we just hang out there. And we just read through, let's just say, read through all of Psalm 119 in one sitting. 176 verses and just relish that. There should be a, a delight in that. Maybe you take a half a day or, I don't know, a day or period of time and you just say, Lord, I'm just going to soak in your word. I know when I've had a nice vacation time with my wife or I've had a nice meal with a close, say, ministry friend of mine and we've talked for a couple hours or, or I've had the opportunity to, to spend unrushed time with friends. It's just good. You just come away going, I needed that. And when you do that with the Lord, even more so, I needed that. Well, there's that, there's that delight. Do you know this hymn tune by William Cooper is the way you pronounce his name? It looks like Cowper. Oh, for a closer walk with God. To me, this really nails it. This is a probing hymn text. Cooper said, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame. A light to shine upon the road that leads me to the land. And then he reflects back, thinking that things aren't going so well right now. He says, where is this blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memories still but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Return, O holy dove. Return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and, drive, and drove me from my breast. Here's one. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, 
Help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God. Calm and serene my frame. So purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. I don't know how it is with you right now, and if you're paying much attention to what's going on in our culture, surely you are. In all of my life's experiences, I have never lived through a season where there's so much turmoil concentrated in multiple ways in our wonderful American culture and life. You know, I love America, don't you? I mean, we put a flag outside and fly it in front of our house. Every day, the weather permits it. Virtually every day. There's plenty of blame to go around if we want to start blaming things. But as believers, we need to keep our feet under us. We need to keep a Godward focus. And we need this calm and serene attitude that Cooper talks about. And I'm just going to suggest something to you. Don't do it right now. But for me, the best place to get it is from Psalm 37. Pretty long chapter. Just put that away in your head and find yourself in Psalm 37. It will, it's the best Bible prescription I know if you're kind of rattled to calm you down. Can I put it this way? God knows everything that's going on. God knows why everything is going on. God is a God of love and mercy and He is a God of truth and justice. And in the end, God will take care of everything, be it wrong or right. He knows everything. And what we need to be doing is to be trusting in God at a time like this. Amen? That's what we need. This should drive us to the Word of God. Now I'm going to go to this next point here, which is diligence. Which is diligence. Would you turn to Proverbs 2 with me, please? Are you with me? Are we okay? I know this is going to just get, it might be a little... A little tedious, a little long here. I'm going to not try to go over my time, so I have to pick up the pace here on these next points. So, devotion, discipline, if you will. Delight, diligence. So we're talking here about regular reading, refreshing reading, and then researching God's truth in depth. Proverbs chapter 2, the first six verses, commend diligence and effort in our relationship to the Word of God. My son, if you will receive, the verbs of command here are really good if you want to note them. If you will receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and, and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it, like silver, and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then will you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and his mouth from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. 
and on the passage goes. So what I've been talking about so far, in a sense, is more of the kind of, I hate to use the word casual because I don't really mean casual, but what I've been talking about so far is basically reading, observing. And you learn by doing that. But what I'm talking about with diligence is going beneath the surface of just a given text to where you go down deeper and you explore and you seek to know what words mean and you seek to know relationships between those words in that context and actually in the bigger picture of the Bible so that you're, you're tying things together as to how they work in the big picture of God's revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, and there is a lifetime of pursuit available to you on that front. So your pastor and Brother Travor and others have been have been schooled in, in this type of thing. They've studied ancient languages, perhaps, or they have taken deeper theology courses. And this is not, by the way, Christianity is not a mystery religion, and you don't have to have uh, some kind of you know special courses to get this. You, you, you can get this. But it does take effort. It may involve scripture memory. I, little subpoints here say uh, patterns of repeated revelation. In other words, you might do a word search on a topic and just see how that occurs through the Bible. That's generally called biblical theology. How a doctrine or how a concept uh, opens itself up as you go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation or through a book in the Bible. You may look at, at, at things that you read and the meaning is not clear on the surface. Somewhere in God's picture, He means it to be clear, but because of our finiteness, it may be not clear to us at the moment. And so we look for help. I'm going to make a suggestion to you in this regard is that is that you, if you do not have a study Bible, that you get that you get a study Bible. A study Bible is like having a, a, an abridged Bible library in your possession in one book. The one I have in my hand is the MacArthur Study Bible. So Dr. MacArthur in California, along with his, probably his uh, seminary faculty and others, they put together years ago what I consider to be the best study Bible in the world. Now, there are many other very fine study Bibles. This study Bible, the subtext, the footnotes, actually explain, in many cases, the hard-to-be-understood things. And that's what makes it so valuable. So it, there is an introduction to each book in the Bible. Uh, there will be footnotes with each, each page, basically. There will be a small concordance in the back. There will be terms explained. And to think that for something like $20, you could get a hardback study Bible like this one. Actually, if you want to get a paperback of this, I noticed over the holidays that Christian book distributors would sell you a paperback MacArthur Study Bible for $700. I, I bought a bunch of these a while back and gave them out in the prison. I was teaching guys and I worked it out where I had to be careful about how I did this, but 
the guys in my group, they could get a MacArthur Study Bible and they never knew where it came from. Uh, this church uses the English Standard Version. Okay? There's an ESV Study Bible. It's actually thicker than this one. And my experience with it is it is excellent. It's actually oftentimes more thorough than this one. Now, I don't hold all the particular viewpoints of the ESV study Bible, like I would in most cases hold to the viewpoints of this one, but it's still good. Okay? It's still really helpful. And if you, I would encourage you to have a hard copy of something like this, but you can actually buy that as an app and have the notes to it right here on your on your phone if you like if you have a by the way the phone the phone is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did you know that there's actually a an apple on the back of it with a bite out of it and it can be used for enormous evil but it can be used for enormous good and so use it for the good and not for the evil and and actually if you buy the ESV study bible I, at least I did it this way they give you a code, and if you buy a hard copy, you can download the app for free and use it on your phone. So that's pretty cool. And then there are very many other study. I have a I have many study Bibles at my office at home. This is a must. This is invaluable if you're going to be a serious student of the Word of God. So there's diligence, there's effort that we put forth, and then there's discovery. D, or, or D, uh, fourth. Uh, which is, uh, the way I lay it out, is it's the, the reality of God in our lives. Answered prayer in arranged circumstances. Philippians 2.13 says this, It is God who works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Alright, so, so we have the objective Word of God okay, that we read, that we study, that we learn from, and we must, we must be involved in that type of thing if we're going to grow. But then we also have a sovereign God, and if we are His child, if we're not, there's a sense in which He's working, but if we are His child, then most definitely, since we have the Holy Spirit living within us, God, God Himself is directly involved in the details of our personal experience. So we're growing in grace, we're reading His Word, we are, we are letting the Spirit of God use us and fill us and bless us, and so this relationship is dynamic and it's growing, but what we have to do is do our best to perceive how it is that God is working in our lives, how He is arranging circumstances, and how He is answering prayer. Now that whole topic of prayer life is, a, is another huge discussion. So I'm just touching it here. But you are missing out on enormous blessings if you don't, as well as read the Bible, have a good prayer life. And you ought to be, you ought to have a list of specific things about your life that you're asking God to intervene on and show you and lead you and bless you and guide you and protect you and all those works. And one of those ought to be that you're asking God to bring you across the path of people who need to know the Lord. Or believers who need to grow in grace. And maybe you'd be 
part of that process of helping them take that next step. So there's, there's the area of, of, of discovery. And here, here's what happens as you're, as you're living a prayerful life and you're seeking to be aware of God working in your life and you're asking about specific things and you're concerned about specific people, what will happen is, is when you're walking with God, all of this will converge. And there will be times when you'll get a blessing out of God's Word on a given morning and He'll bring somebody across your path even that day that needed that Word my wife posts verse, verses on Facebook, I think it is, right? Every, about every day. And those are a blessing to people. She gets out of her, pretty sure, from her Bible reading. But you come across people that, that need exactly what you've got from God's Word. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more when we get to the last point about declaration. So, discovery. I worked under a pastor for several years in a church plant, and his lead question was, Hey, where is God in all of this? Or another way of saying, what is God doing in your life? And that's a very good, very good probing question that we ought to be thinking about and asking one another. And then number five, or five in the list, discernment, is the relevance of God's truth to life. How, how God has taught us, how we have obeyed, the blessing, the good results that have come out of that. Or, conversely, how we have failed to learn and obey and the results that have come out of that. Part of the way, unfortunately, I guess, that we get discernment is through failure. We, we learn to do better. We learn to make right choices. Sometimes, not the best way, but by making bad choices. One way we learn to make right choices is by being around godly people that will influence us to make good choices by seeking counsel and discernment in advance, especially of major choices that we make. But if we're going to be beyond babyhood in our Christian growth, we've got to be growing in our own discernment. Mamas and daddies need discernment. Young adults, which we have a lot here in this room this morning, which I'm glad to see Man, you need discernment navigating what you're facing in this culture. We thought we were facing stuff in the, when the counterculture hit America back in the 1960s and 70s. Oh my, it, that, was, that was romper, I mean, that was, that was you know, Miss, Mr. Green Jeans. That, that, was, that was way long ago. You're facing stuff that is in another world of discernment you need. And boy, do you need Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, he says, not solid food. That's not, you know, that's not real friendly talk what he just said there, but he goes on to say, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so what you're doing when you're reading the Word of God is you're being given the tools by which you can discern. 
right from wrong, truth from error, good judgment from poor judgment. And I'll say this, the book of Proverbs is absolutely chock full with very practical principles for everyday living. And I've been reading, not every year since Ken Collier said this to me when I was 16, but I'd say that most of the years since that time, for 50 years, I've been reading through the book of Proverbs one chapter at a time, according to the day of the month. And I would commend that to you. And if you just grab one proverb a day from what you read, however much you read, or grab a proverb and relate it to something in your life, you're just going to build a phenomenal ability to discern between good and evil. One of the most evil things in our culture today is the sensuality in our culture. The immorality. The gross immorality. It is, it is virtually in every song on the radio, on the wrong kind of channels anyway, it's, it's in so much of the visual media, the pornography that is accessible is sickening. So you have this very sensual culture and how, how are men and women for that matter going to survive this culture? Well, there are, that's a big discussion as well. It's not just surviving the culture, it's actually living a holy life as unto the Lord, keeping our hearts and minds pure. But if you'll read Proverbs 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, I'm talking about chapters here, it is loaded, especially for men, it's loaded with warnings there. And so you, you begin to read that and realize what things are really all about. And you do it in a context that Solomon is warning against this type of behavior. So we need discernment. That's what makes you not go to places where you're going to get in a wrong type of relationship. You don't drink stuff that's going to loosen up your, your, your morals. You don't look at things that are going to stimulate evil desire. You don't, you don't start down a pathway of flirting that's going to end up in, in real trouble. You see what I'm saying? You have discernment. That's just one illustration and application. And then finally is declaration. Declaration. It is reaching out to others. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have this great passage about how the body of Christ is to be maturing. Uh, Ephesians is a phenomenal book. And chapter 4 takes it in a, in a practical application direction. And so it's talking about how God has given pastors and others to the church to build up the body of Christ and equip people to grow in Christ. And it talks about there about how we, we are to all come into the unity of the faith. That's part of what the catechism is. You're, you're growing in the doctrinal aspect of that, but you're also growing in the behavioral aspect of that. Belief affects behavior. Behavior reflects belief. It's all one package, what you believe and how you behave. And ultimately, all of this is to be reflecting the character of God. But it is a process. And so God's men speak God's word, but then God's people are also to be speaking that same word to one another. We do it in the home, we do it in our relationships. Notice what it says in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. But rather, here's my point, but rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're talking here about the, the outflow of our personal walk with God is appropriately having the opportunity to speak the truth in love to others. And within the body of Christ, and we know we have opportunities to speak God's loving truth, the gospel, to people that don't yet know him. Let me pull all this together in a closing illustration. I'll be done. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Okay. So I had the privilege to, to travel a good bit. Even this, this past year was, uh, it was an amazing travel year for me. And I'm so thankful. Just so blessed of the Lord. So I've been on a multifaceted trip, and so I'm, I'm headed back home. But I've got to fly United from Boston to Chicago to Greenville. Okay, I don't know why that's that way, but, you know, of course, United flights are just packed with people. They, 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 Delta spaces them out. United packs them in. That's my experience, okay? Masked up, you know, you're sitting there. And so, so I'm on this plane from Boston to Chicago, and I'm, I'm having a good day. I'm like, hey, this, you know, maybe the Lord will give me a chance to talk to somebody. So I got with three seats in a row, and I got put in the middle, and I, I was there first. So, so pretty soon, the stewardess brings uh, two two young girls. Uh, I I thought they were probably college age, and and so one sat on my left, and the other sat on my right, and I didn't re probably realize they were together, or I would have, you know said, "Why don't y'all sit together?" Well, I eventually figured it out, and I offered, and they said, "No, that's okay." So I'm I'm seated here, and I've got um, this girl on my left, and I and this other girl on my right is uh, uh, looks a little. Foreign background to me, smaller girl. This one over here is like, uh, you know, from the mid Midwest. So got to talking a little bit with this girl. I found if you don't start talking pretty soon when you're on a plane, you're going to lose the opportunity. So I kind of get something going kind of early. Well, lo and behold, these two girls are in a Catholic boarding school in upstate New York. This one over here is flying back to Indiana to see her parents. Her dad's like a custodian in a Catholic church back in Indiana. She has a, she's a large family. I thought she was college age. By the end of the conversation, I found out she was 15. But she, she deported herself like a very mature young woman. And she knew, she knew the Catholic faith. When we're flying along, I noticed one time she did like this. She crossed herself. Wow. And she pulled out a rosary out of her purse. And she started to do the rosary. I said, I said, you know, I've never had anybody explain the rosary to me. Could you explain the rosary? And she started explaining the rosary to me. And I mean, this girl is like a Catholic theologian on the rosary. She, I couldn't tell you what it is right now, but, but she, she was telling me all the components to it and how the things repeat and all these different concepts that are coming through the rosary, and I was pretty impressed with her. So I was res very respectful to her. And I took out my phone, and I said, you know, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it went something like, you know, have you, ever, have you ever read the Bible much? Of course not. 
She'd had plenty of religion. But I took out my ESV app and I started explaining the Bible to her. And I mean, we talked for an hour. So I'd had my devotions that morning, you know, and I'm, I think I was filled with the Spirit. And, uh, and I, I've got these two girls on each side of me. This one didn't say anything, hardly. And this one is just seemingly wide open to what I'm talking about. So I've listened to her, now she's listening to me, and, and I get to take the Word of God and share the Gospel with this, this sweet Catholic girl. We got done talking, and uh, she said, I want to give you something. So she took out this little, I still got it in the top drawer of mine. She took it, and it looked like a real small dime, no mercury dime, something like that. It was a, it was a, little, a little jewelry piece of St. Benedict. Probably means blessing. So that was her sweet way of saying thank you. And she said, and I want to give one to your wife as well. Because I'd shown her Ellen's picture. And, you know. So I said, okay. That's good. I'm like, oh, what can I give her? I'm like, do I have any, do I have something in my, and I was looking for a little ultimate questions gospel booklet, which I had, did not have. I must have run out. And Ellen, before I left home, I'd gotten a, a gospel booklet, about 20, 25 pages, written by Carrie Schmidt, called Done. And it's, it's a gospel presentation saying, you don't have to do anything. Like this girl thought if she didn't do her rosary, she wasn't going to have grace. And if she didn't have grace, she wasn't going to have it. So she was, she was working her way to heaven through her religious routine, which I admire her. You know, it's good to see a young woman that's that interested in God, right? I mean, that's the good side of it. But I was able to give her something, and she took it, and I've had no contact with that girl since then. What I'm saying is, in all my travels, of all that trip, God arranged a circumstance so I could share the Word of God and the Gospel, and this, providentially, this Gospel booklet that my wife likes to use with this young Catholic girl. I don't know if she got, I don't know that she got saved. I don't know if she'll get saved. But I do know this. For the rest of her life, I believe she will have a memory of a big-nosed guy in a plane that showed her the Bible and gave her the gospel. And it might not bear fruit for five years or 15 or 20 years, but I believe God's after that fruit. And there'll be, there'll be a moment where I hope in, in her life that some, some sweet person will come along, maybe a godly lady, somewhere in the, her experience, open the Bible, lead her to Christ. And, you know, there was a guy on a plane one time that told me this. And God opened her heart. That makes sense? So if we're, if we're walking with Christ and growing in grace and He is uppermost and His gospel is on the forefront of our thinking and we're alert to what God is doing around us and arranging our circumstances. And, and then we're filled with the Word and we're able in our own way, with our own personality, whatever the best way is to do it, we, we can share the Gospel, the Word of God, Word of encouragement with somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you, I am far, far, far from what I should be. I should be way ahead of where I am right now. 
But I'm going to tell you, for a 66-year-old guy that's been trying to do this kind of thing for 50 years, it is super satisfying. It is super rewarding. And I'm thankful for God's mercy and grace that we sang about this morning. He works with us when we fail. But He gets us on our feet. He says, okay, no, I can use you, God. I can use you, man. So that's my heart for you today, all right? And I hope it'll make a difference in your life. Lord, help us.